Coming up in this episode of the Church and State Show, I'm going to react to this last Sunday's episode of Insiders, where there was a bit of a post-mortem on the referendum. I'm going to be analysing the arguments, the rhetoric, the sophistry from the left, how they're spinning uh, the referendum result and how they are digesting what it actually means for them. I'm going to be assessing their strategies, uh, their lies and their, their philosophies, the paradigms by which they uh, perceive and propagandise the rest of us in this nation. What has the referendum taught them, if anything? What has it taught the Liberal Party, if anything? All that and more in this episode of the Church and State Show. I'm Dave Pello. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Let's actually start with this small package played at the beginning of the Insiders program on Sunday morning. Is a splinter in the mud. We've been on the path to the voice referendum. Joining me now live for more on this is the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Good morning, PM. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Live now in Canberra. PM, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. And right here, you have my main objection, straight up already, uh, to the voice referendum, is the spirituality that was attached to all of this. Section 116 of the Constitution advocates that the government, uh, it actually prohibits uh, the government, the federal Commonwealth government, not the state governments, from making any law establishing religion, uh, prohibiting religion, uh, requiring religion or a lack of religion as a test for public office, or in any way inhibiting the free exercise of religion in Australia. Uh, and what the Uluru Statement from the Heart is, is a religious political manifesto. It is grounded in uh, claims uh, and foundations which are religious. The Uluru Statement from the Heart says uh, that Aboriginal sovereignty is a spiritual notion. And this comes from the fact that Aboriginal religion is pagan animism, coming from the Latin word anima, meaning breath, spirit, life. Uh, Aboriginal religion holds that everything in Australia has a spirit and has a entity, is, has an essence. Uh, as rock, uh, rivers, uh, this very sacred places that white people are banned from going to. Uh, they believe that uh, the, the spirits of every person come from the ground, are tied to the ground throughout their life and return to the ground. And they believe uh, or claim that uh, X number of years uh, on the Australia means that they have an inherent sovereignty uh, to, to claim. Uh, and so when Anthony Albanese says uh, you can feel the spirituality, he's 100% right. He's not talking about the spirit of Christmas, a, a vague uh, attitude or disposition uh, in, in society. He's talking about 
the religious, uh, dare I say, demonic overtones of Aboriginal religion. It is a false religion and there was no business the federal government had in daring to impose any law on Australia based in those false religious beliefs. Let's keep watching. My concern is for having led my people to trust in the Australian people. And if that trust is not repaid, then I'm kind of, a, I feel I'm a bit accountable for that. So here's the problem. This referendum has been cast as a test of character, uh, not a test of ideas. And, and this is a, an incredibly divisive way to posture a question to people, is are you a nice person or not? When the real question is, do you agree with me or not? And, and so the, the trust that Noel Pearson is asking for is a blank check. It's blind obedience. Uh, we're told that we should listen to Aboriginal people. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I've listened, I've processed the arguments, and the answer is no, you haven't persuaded me, you haven't made sense. I have a lot of concerns, apprehensions, and criticisms over your idea. And so to put this permanently, uh, effectively permanently, for those people who obsess about the technicality of that, uh, to put this into the Constitution, enshrining it there, uh, is, is a problem, because I don't agree. And guess what? We're in a democracy. It is rule of the majority, not rule of the racial minority. Uh, you have been listened to. Uh, those few of you who, who think that this is a good idea, uh, your arguments have been considered, they've been found wanting, and the nation has said no. It's the exercise of Australian democracy. <laughs> An exercise in Australian democracy, Penny Wong says. That is if we agree with her. If we disagree with her, the leftists and the Aboriginal activists, in that case, democracy got it wrong, democracy has failed, and uh, this is just the beginning of a national conversation, not the end of one with a final and definitive answer. And this is the problem. Leftists don't believe in democracy. They don't trust the people to make a, and we're going to see this throughout this episode, they don't trust the people to be smart enough to think for themselves. I ask Australians to vote yes today. I voted no to Mr Albanese's divisive voice of division. The no campaign has spoken about division while stoking it. Rubbish. This is uh, such a ludicrous uh, talking point. Uh, cheap sophistry from the Prime Minister. The, the opposition has talked about division while stoking it. No, Mr Albanese, recognising division and, and decrying it is not stoking it. Asking people if they have the character to agree with you is divisive. Asking people to give one group of people, a small minority of people, extra representation in this democracy, the exact meaning of the voice to make representations based only on their exclusive ancestry, which is racism, that is divisive. 
And to stoke division, you just had to ask Australians to give one small minority of people based on their ancestry alone extra representation in democracy. It was you, Mr Albanese, who stoked division. I don't think they've been too influenced by what uh, the Liberal Party's had to say. Martin Luther King said, the arc of history bends towards justice. And it does bend. Yes, Albo. It does bend toward justice. And justice said no to your divisive voice. 97% of this country decide our destiny. 97% of the country isn't deciding your destiny. 100% of the country is deciding 100% of the country's destiny. How can 3% of the country decide 100% of the country's destiny? The Constitution affects us all. For these people who say, uh, how does this affect you? They are offering the kind of logic that says, if I pee in the shallow end of the swimming pool, it's only going to affect me. Well, that's rubbish. You, when you change a law, you affect the entire society. It's absolutely clear that the High Court would interpret so much differently if, if uh, Australian Indigenous people were granted any kind of sovereignty separate from the equal sovereignty shared by all of us. That is absolutely clear. What isn't clear is how far and how far-reaching those ramifications would go only that it would be very far and not fully measurable for decades to come. To try and quantify that with absolute certainty is a ridiculous proposition because we don't know who's going to be next appointed to the High Court. What we do know is the language was incredibly vague. It granted the Parliament new powers. It offered nothing in the new chapters of the Constitution to limit the powers of the Parliament in defining the functions, scope, composition and and uh, powers of the, the voice to parliament. And, and so the legislation was the blank check with no limits on it, no breaks, no mechanisms or parameters to constrain it. I mean, the House of Representatives is a body uh, which makes representations uh, and is representative of the people and the constitution limits it. You have to be elected there. There has to be a direct um, election and Based on that, the High Court imagined uh, rights for people that are not explicitly granted in the Constitution. And so exactly the same thing was possible with this proposed change. It wasn't the case that 97% of people were deciding the fate of 3% of people. It was the case that Australians were equally deciding on a proposed chapter to the Constitution which would affect everybody. Small regional booths so far show a pretty strong result for no. Australia has voted no. This will be a difficult moment for many First Nations people. There has been some really uh, horrible uh, political campaigning uh, from Peter Dutton. We have been accused of misleading this country through disinformation and misinformation when it was a campaign of no information. Uh, this is not the end of reconciliation. Is reconciliation now dead in this country? Oh, no, no way it's dead. This is a very sad moment in the country's history. As Prime Minister, I will always accept responsibility for the decisions I've taken. I'm going to be coming back to this later. You, you can guarantee this. Words are cheap, Albanese. 
He says that he is going to accept responsibility for this decision. A, a bit like other Labour leaders, uh, that is the end of the responsibility he takes, saying the buck stops with me and I take responsibility, but then demonstrating a complete inability to comprehend and articulate exactly uh, where he went wrong. So if it's your responsibility and uh, everything's gone wrong on your watch, what went wrong? What did you get wrong? What would you do differently? Uh, and do you actually take responsibility or do you shift the blame? I think you know the answer and uh, we will see that coming up soon. Yeah, the words almost of contempt uh, for the Australian people dripping from uh, from what he's saying. No referendum has succeeded without bipartisan support. Oh, so quickly, so quickly. I accept responsibility in his speech. And then uh, when asked exactly what went wrong later on, he didn't say I should have uh, been more uh, collaborative with the opposition. Uh, he didn't say I should have... Uh, you know, given the details that we've got in mind and, and sought feedback on them to uh, create a, a proposition that was acceptable to at least 50% of people. No, he said, uh, you know what, uh, this uh, referendum never would have gotten up without bipartisan support, meaning it was Peter Dutton's fault. He exactly told all of Australia that he didn't take responsibility, that he blamed Peter Dutton for the referendum failing. And Peter Dutton should take the credit because it was a terrible idea that deserved honest and robust criticism, but after the complete lack of failure to provide details on the proposed legislation. I think the big question is why, um, Isabella? What do you think? Why has Australia voted this way? I spent a bit of time at polling booths this week and I was surprised by the number of people who said, I don't get it, it's too hard, so I'm going to vote no, just from travelling around the country, that was a message I was getting a lot, is that people still didn't get this weeks out and we were hearing that from the Yes campaigners as well, saying uh, from Anthony Albanese a week out from this referendum, we think 25% of people haven't decided yet. I mean, that's leaving a lot of truth-telling, a lot of winning over the hearts and minds to the final seven days of this campaign. It was a huge job for them and they just couldn't do it in seven days. It was a difficult proposal, I think, for some people to get their heads around. I think for those who perhaps don't understand the lives of Indigenous Australians, who don't understand the inequity, the challenges, to then try and understand this proposal and how that could potentially fix some of these things, it was too much for them to get their head around. And in seven days, that just wasn't going to happen. Well, the sheer arrogance and inability to comprehend the reality going on here. In this lady's mind, she and the average leftist, they are absolutely convinced that their idea is unimpeachable and makes perfect sense. And they have zero ability to understand the criticisms against it. And, and here's a, a common problem. They don't want to understand the criticisms against it. They want to dismiss and demonise anybody who disagrees with them at all. But the reality is this doesn't make sense. They couldn't articulate, the Yes campaign couldn't articulate how the voice would make any lives better, improve any uh, bad experiences or improve the outcomes for any gaps which are currently being experienced 
by the one in five Aborigines who do experience a gap in outcomes compared to the average Australian. How would a bureaucracy do that? It is not as if Aborigines don't already have loads of voices, lobbyists, advocates, representatives, uh, industry bodies, already consulting with every level of government on every piece of legislation, on every policy implementation and development. Right from scratch, they're consulted on everything. There is no lack of voice for Aborigines in Australia already. They are the most organized politically. There is no mining group or industry group which has as much representation and as much uh, voices in parliament and in the halls of power as Aborigines. There is no uh, demographic group in Australia which is better funded than Aborigines. Uh, and so to ask Australians to say this new bureaucracy is going to make everything better uh, because we're going to put it in the constitution uh, just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't uh, logically cohere at all. This is a silly idea with no merit at all, lots of downsides and detriments. And for this lady to say it is the voters' fault for not being able to understand how this was going to be a good thing for anybody uh, is missing the forest for the trees. Well, I mean, you know, many would argue it's been around for six and a half years, this idea, since the Uluru Statement. But, David, do you agree that ultimately there's a lot of Australians who just didn't understand what this new body, what this proposal was all about? Yes, and our reporters found the same kind of thing when they went to places like Moree and Wilcannia, not just the suburbs in the city. Um, Shock! The Yes campaign was relying, I think, too much on a late move to persuade people to get them over the line. And I think the no were relying on celebrities. through the course of this year in questioning this proposal. And let's face it, the proposal was put to Australians. It's easy for an opposition to be effective in questioning a bad proposal. And here's the reality, which the Yes campaign is completely oblivious to and still in complete denial of. Two out of three Australians rejected this. Sorry, three out of five Australians. 60% of Australians rejected this because it's a bad idea. It was easy to criticise because it was a bad idea. They were accused of being fear-mongering because it was full of bad ideas. And when you tell the truth about something which is bad, that's not fear-mongering, that's truth-telling. Uh, without going to a full sort of multi-partisan effort whether you call it a constitutional convention or something else, to get all sides around yeah, it. I mean, look, so it didn't have... Exactly right. Albanese could have had a constitutional convention. He could have had bipartisan, non-partisan, collaborative input, trying to seek consensus like a leader. Instead, he was a bully. Instead, he tried to uh, win people over with big corporates, big money, big advertising and big celebrities from America. Well, that's never going to persuade Australians. What we want to hear is a good idea. And, and this isn't some postal survey. This is a constitution with a permanent change, a effectively permanent change. Uh, the whole point, I, I'm going to keep saying permanent. And you know what? You guys wanted this in the constitution because you wanted it permanent. This is never going to get up because it's a bad idea and it was executed terribly. Let's say it was a good idea. Let's say there was 
some actual conviction in the merits of this idea. Uh, you have to take this to the parliament and try and figure out how to get everybody behind this, just like the 67 referendum, which was a great idea and passed unanimously because it was done consultatively and it unified people. It ended discrimination instead of adding discrimination. That. The, the Uluru Dialogues were a constitutional convention, but they were for Indigenous Australians. They were a constitutional convention for a limited number of exclusively invited Indigenous Australians who were exclusively invited on the basis of their uh, probable cooperation with the organisers' political agenda and vision for society. It always had a predetermined outcome, and even then, People, uh, people left and walked out of the convention because they were unhappy with it and it wasn't representative of them. Thousands of Indigenous Australians have described their inability to even know what it was about. Uh, this is no way uh, representative of the Australian people and the lies about how many Aborigines it represented uh, were, were terrible. Uh, and certainly greatly exaggerated. Now, I'll concede a majority of Indigenous Australians voted for it, but I don't even think that's an entirely reliable statistic, given how many remote communities uh, have a lot of voters who don't speak English as their first language, if at all, and certainly had no understanding what the voice was or how it worked. Well, this year has been very busy for the church and state conferences, the live events where we bring a host of A-grade speakers to educate Christians about how to influence culture. We've been to Coffs Harbour and the... <laughs> we've been to Coffs Harbour and Perth and Adelaide, as well as the annual summit in Brisbane. We're starting off next year very early with another interstate conference in Hobart on the 2nd and 3rd of February. Tickets are now selling for that, as well as for the summit on the 8th and 9th of March. We've got fantastic lineup of speakers in both events. Early bird tickets are now on sale. If you head to churchandstate.com.au forward slash register, you're going to be able to get early bird tickets for the conference in Hobart and the summit in Brisbane, as well as watching all of the videos from the events this year. Exactly. Non-Indigenous Australians in the sort of constitutional convention that, that you know, came before the Republic vote. And in this situation, you don't just need a consensus among those who are putting the proposal, you've got to take it to the people. You need their votes in a referendum. So it didn't have that, and this gets back to the issue of people being unsure about it. When they can see all this division, people were unsure. There were lies, and there, were, there was misinformation through the campaign. That's true, but yeah. there was... That's not true. This misinformation label is a weaponised word which is used to describe people who disagree. It's a weaponized word to vilify and dismiss people who disagree. It's been created and implemented into uh, social currency by leftists, and right-wing people are turning the gun back on leftists who are telling lies. For example, 80% of Indigenous Australians uh, support the voice proposal. That was misinformation. But what that actually is, and what's actually going on here, is a very old uh, phenomena of political debate, uh, where people hyperbolize and exaggerate, 
uh, they conveniently uh, leave out the details which are inconvenient to their narrative uh, and they uh, argue their case uh, very, very robustly uh, with a whole lot of sophistry and rhetoric. And yes, there are many, many cases where political campaigns include lies and deliberate deceit. Uh, one of the most common ones uh, that's easily uh, recognisable in recent political history in Australia is Mediscare, the complete mythical fabrication that the Liberal Party, if elected, wanted to abolish Medicare. Uh, these, uh, this text message came out the night before election uh, a few years ago with absolutely no chance to correct the record, deliberately timed to trick and deceive and go into people's uh, mind and consciences. That was fear-mongering. That was uh, a deliberate lie and fraud, and people should have gone to jail for election interference over that deception. Uh, so these things do happen. Uh, but the misinformation label is being applied to sincere disagreement frequently. In, in fact, I'd say over 90% of the time that you see the misinformation label, then you have uh, a sincere disagreement that the leftists just don't understand, don't want to understand, don't want to engage with, or sincerely offer any kind of logical refutation for. And this is a problem. You have to see through the, the veneer of moral superiority that they're offering when they label things misinformation uh, because uh, they're actually a sincere argument from the other side. Uh, I'd say nine times out of ten. It's also a big question about the model and people were not sure about that model. There was also division among Indigenous leaders. Every Australian could see that there wasn't a consensus among Indigenous leaders. And so Correct. asking Australians to vote for something where there were Indigenous leaders on all sides, really, Lydia Thorpe, Jacinta Nampajimpa Price, Linda Burney, asking Australians to vote for it in that situation was difficult. Well, there's a couple of things in, in that, just on that division. I mean, it's, it's, it's true that the, certainly having Jacinta Price and Warren Mundine fronting the no campaign, um, it, it it did confuse a lot of non-Indigenous Australians, I suppose, Isabella. I think she was an incredibly potent campaigner. I think the fact that she was a, a relatively young Indigenous woman out there saying things that we often hear from a very different demographic, saying things like colonisation hasn't negatively mm. impacted Aboriginal people. I mean, that is patently untrue. That's your opinion, Isabella, and it is not patently untrue. Uh, the early Stone Age inhabitants of Australia prior to settlement lived uh, not the life of the noble savage, but a life with incredibly short lifespans, incredibly high endemic violence, intertribal violence, invasions, massacres and colonisation frequently long before then. There was no plumbing, there was no pottery or ceramics or capacity for boiling water, there was no healthcare. There was no unification or king or government or central recognised law system. There was no agriculture. There was no reliability of food supply. Uh, there was no uh, significant peace and uh, development in any kind of... There was nomadic tribes wandering around here. And now Aboriginals are living twice the lifespan. Uh, and most Aboriginals, 80%, are having the same outcomes as everybody else. Do you want to know the impacts of colonisation that have been negative? 
it's the rehearsed grievances, the bitterness, the hostility uh, that is handed down gener generation to generation. The intergenerational trauma that is experienced as a result of, of colonization is entirely the fault of the parents who tell the children that you're victims and that uh, the white man is keeping you down and oppressing you and uh, to have justice we have to wind back the clock somehow uh, and obviously not go back to bark huts but keep all of the benefits of colonization while decrying it. Uh, it is absolutely true that colonization was certainly a net benefit uh, but to say it's patently untrue is the same as this, uh, this claim of misinformation. It's you disagree because it's inconvenient to your vision of society and your narrative about what's actually going on. But to see someone who looks like that, who's from this community saying that, I mean, that absolutely confuses the Australian public. It's not true, but because she's saying it. It confuses people because it casts doubt on the left narrative, which you believe is the only truth. But the leftist progressive gospel is a false gospel. And so to call people waking up from that deception confused is a convenient, cynical choice of words for you. Uh, but the reality is they're ending their confusion. People question it. People wanted to believe yeah, it was true. Yeah. So and she had this powerful message the tapped narrative. into something they wanted to hear. But I, I also think that one of her other messages last night, Australia is not a racist country, you know, people, that resonates as well. Of course it does. Yeah, sure. The misinformation, JP, David mentions that it, it was there. It was um, huge. Is it fair to blame every, this result huge. on the misinformation? What, what role did it play? I think we found early on that People's perception and understanding of our constitution is just not there. The, the difference between... I agree. The understanding of the constitution is not there. Uh, and this comes to one of my pet peeves and hobby horses, is the complete failure of civics education in this nation. Do your children a favour and pull them out of mass schooling, especially government mass schooling. They're not going to be taught anything. They're going to be taught... Uh, a subjective black armband view of history which teaches uh, shame in our identity and, and a, a complete lack of history of uh, colonisation and of the British culture which Australia is founded upon uh, and our legal system and our government system is founded upon. Thousands of years of cultural development and evolution and sophistication uh, we're going not to be taught about that. And so there's very few people who are graduating school this day with any more civics education than a year six excursion to Parliament House in Canberra. Uh, they certainly don't understand preferential voting or the difference between the upper house and the lower house. They don't understand uh, proportional representation or first past the post or alternative systems. They don't understand the French Revolution and the, the bloody violence which ensues from uh, that European enlightenment uh, as opposed to the, the great thinkers of, of Christian history and, and jurisprudence who taught uh, civic responsibility. They haven't learned to contrast the French Revolution with the American Revolution with entirely different outcomes uh, for the culture and society that, that have been there. Uh, Australia has one of the ten oldest constitutions in the world. 
we are not a young country by global standards, by legal constitutional standards, which is why uh, something which has stood the test of time should be preserved so much. But uh, JP is 100% right. Uh, we do not teach the constitution in Australia. And uh, what's more is the average person's arguments to do with this have been that this is a simple proposal, which is preposterous. Nothing with the constitution is simple. You're changing the constitution, the very foundation, fabric and framework for which we make laws and govern society, limit the powers, grant the powers that exist in this nation. That has profound, long-lasting ramifications for future generations, not just today, not just me. And so uh, I completely agree with his point for opposite reasons. Constitutional change and legislative change was not there. So to educate... We don't do this very often, do Exactly. We? So to educate people about the Constitution, and I did Vox Pops in Rockhampton at the very start of this, and I said, do you, have you read our Constitution? And people just went, no. People, have, uh, people actually thought that there was freedom of speech. Where should people read the Constitution? School. Where should they be given a copy of the Constitution? and taught the values, the merits, the benefits, the beauties of our constitution. You know, our founding fathers had a constitutional convention and unlike most nations, we had a popular vote to endorse and accept it. This is Australian sovereignty in, in exercise. This is a beautiful thing. We took the best of British history, the best of the great American experiment in democracy, and we made Australia. Our founding fathers made Australia. Colonisation was brilliant for this nation because we stood on the shoulders of giants and created a nation which would benefit the most people, accelerate the flourishing and potential of most people without tyranny. In our constitution. So a lot of uneducated people about our constitution, which is understandable, um, and then to bring in major change about First Nations people when the majority of people have not met Aboriginal people. Are you serious? The majority of people have not met Aboriginal people? I, I don't know where he gets this information from. Uh, if, look, please tell me in comments. Uh, please at me on Twitter or Facebook, at Dave Pellow, if you have never met an Aboriginal person. Uh, I find that completely unbelievable. I reject that completely. I, <laughs> I'm happy to admit if I'm wrong, uh, but that's way outside my lived experience or anybody I know. I don't know anybody who's never met an Aboriginal person. I mean, what... what Posterous propaganda by JP. They see Aboriginal people on the television, in the media. They get their perceptions from the media. Oh, give me So a to break. put those two together, it, it creates the perfect storm, I think, for misinformation. And misinformation, misinformation played a big part in this. I think we can't estimate that. The feedback that we were getting from Western Sydney was that, you know, the fear of, I'm going to lose my house. If the voice gets up, I'm going to lose my house. Losing your house was not an argument offered by any leader or official campaign in this. Uh, now, it is totally, totally fair to say that the Uluru Statement from the Heart was Anthony Albanese's agenda, uh, which includes voice, treaty and their truth. Now, the treaty part of that 
is completely undetailed and there are absolute merit of precedence in other nations where even a slice of GDP has been allocated to indigenous populations through a treaty. To say there was no risk to everybody's uh, financial pockets, um, essentially some new tax for being white, is, is just... It, it is just complete denial of the actual existing facts in other nations. Now, if you had have given us detail and said, no, that definitely won't happen because here's where the boundary is going to be, then that might have been different. But the complete lack of detail from the Yes campaign, as Jacinta Nebuchadnezzar said uh, in an earlier package, uh, we've been accused of misinformation, but the f problem was the lack of information. And for you to then come out uh, when people are speculating about what could happen with a blank check of new powers for Parliament uh, is uh, cynical and, uh, and just downright disgusting. It's giving them extra rights that I don't have and that really played a part. And it... That's exactly what the proposal was. Giving them extra rights that I don't have, he says. Well, it was 100% about giving a minority of Australians extra representation based on their ancestry. That's exactly what it was. People say it wasn't about race, but in the other breath they say it was about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, which is a group of ethnic people. Uh, come on, it was 100% about giving a small group of people extra rights. Representation, uh, rights to make representations in a democracy. It just the, the doublespeak these people have where they say one thing out of one side of their mouth and then contradict themselves with the other uh, and deny what they just said. It's, it's breathtaking uh, lack of self-awareness. Importantly, look, we've asked pe people on the no side, you know, was it your job to call that out? If, and we even asked Barnaby Joyce last night on the program, you were campaigning, if someone came up to you and said, if, are they going to take my house? Do you say, no, look, that's not true. I want this to be argued on the facts. What do you so say to that? That is exactly what most people would have said. If anybody came up to uh, anybody and said, uh, look, this, this house, I didn't even hear that being offered. I don't know where this, this guy is taking this as an, a prime example of misinformation on the no side. I mean, it's dismissible. He just said, look, there's lots of, lots of other talk, right? So they let the... And of course there is. The kind of crap that goes on on the yes side of the, of the uh, debate, uh, just should we hold the yes side accountable for every last troll on Twitter who abuses uh, people who are right of Stalin? Bushfire, we've got to admit they let the bushfire burn away and create smoke to cloud the issue. They never... Oh, so now it's deliberate. They deliberately let uh, a minority of Australians speak with exaggeration and hyperbole, misinformation. Uh, that was a deliberate strategy, let that go, because Labor never do that. Yes, Case never did that in this last year. Never went back and corrected it to have this respectful debate on the facts, on the detail, which they were saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I did see uh, Jacinta Nampajipa Price in her comments last night. She said, you know, we were accused of misinformation, but pointed out on the other side, there was this long-running claim that 80% of Indigenous Australians supported, which an early poll had found, I think, back in January, February. But anyway, she was saying that was misinformation from... 
one of the leading left-wing Labour, hardcore Labour pollsters uh, I follow, has cast so much cold water on that poll. It's impossible. Uh, that poll, right back uh, when it was, was uh, very low-quality information at best. I'm sure they did their best, but it's just impossible. Absolutely impossible to take a poll of Indigenous Australians and ask them about their support on this for so many reasons. But it was a leftist saying that uh, polling Aboriginal Australians on uh, The Voice um, is, is just going to take so much time and so much money, like years, months, I think he said. I don't want to exaggerate. Uh, and, uh, you know, that poll from the beginning uh, was low quality information and for that claim to have been offered up misinformation no it's just typical political campaigning where people have to honestly sincerely and independently uh, consider both sides of the argument and ask these important questions themselves and this is part of the problem of the education system. People aren't trained to go to a display of statistics and ask important questions about how to interpret and understand uh, the reliability of those statistics. Forget the Constitution, there's a whole lot more people need to be trained on. Uh, but to accuse people of misinformation all the time is, is uh, just a really transparent excuse to try and cancel one side of a debate. From the yes <laughs> side as well. Well, it's interesting for me. I, I, it's ironic that the misinformation about it's a land grab and if the voice gets up, they're going to claim my house or my office. Mm. Or like it. And, and look, let's raise another fact about this uh, uh, land grab uh, argument. How much of Australia, as a percentage of this continent, is currently under native title claim? Ask that question, do that research, and figure it out. It's not a small number. It's kind of the original sin of Australia, isn't it? The what? The original sin of Australia was stealing land from Aboriginal... Here we have a rehearsed an extremely boring uh, piece of rhetoric and propaganda which is perpetuating the gap more than anything else. This rehearsed victimhood. The history of this continent prior to settlement was land grabs. This is the history of the world. This is certainly the history of Aboriginal Australians. Lydia Thorpe's own mixed Aboriginal heritage, four different clans or tribes, uh, has in its Wikipedia pages uh, <laughs> the, the record of their invasion, massacring, genocide and colonisation of the land of other Aboriginal people. That's just one example. But it is a well-documented, well-described feature of pre-colonial Australia that tribes were invading other tribes, massacring, warring, colonising them uh, and, and expanding their own territories, which is human nature the worldwide for thousands of years. As long as we have recorded history, that is exactly what happened. To say this is the original sin of Australia is, is so perniciously, maliciously deceitful it, uh, it is a sin itself. That is absolute, the original sin of Australia long before colonisation at best and a complete lie at worst. 
But the truth is that no referendum has succeeded without bipartisan support in this country. None. I mean, Peter Dutton said after that that there was arrogance from the Prime Minister dripping with contempt for the way the Australian people had voted. David, did he need to show um, more contrition for where the government might have got this wrong? Yes. He took responsibility. I th he took responsibility in those words last night. I thought it was a good speech. He took responsibility by saying he took responsibility. He shirked responsibility by not saying anything else. And actions speak louder than words. So the words he said were a good start, but a good start isn't a good finish. He failed to take responsibility. He failed to identify how his method, how his strategy, how his path to referendum uh, could have been improved or done better. And maybe reflection will show him those details, but I doubt it. I think he blames everybody else except himself. I think he takes zero responsibility. If he takes any responsibility, he does it as some point of pride, not point of acknowledging failure, but uh, responsibility for things which he would consider virtuous, like being a politician of conviction, of, of uh, being prepared to lose uh, for a bad idea. Now, he wouldn't call it a bad idea, of course, in his self-talk, uh, but that's exactly what it is. He would uh, call it something else. And to a certain extent, that's true. I wish liberal politicians were prepared to lose for the right reasons instead of uh, self-flagellate and capitulate to the left um, with this guilt about being conservative or right of Stalin. It's it's uh, tragic and I think the nation would be a lot better off um, if the Liberal politicians could actually articulate and show some leadership. Now, Albanese didn't show leadership. They didn't put forward a positive case. Uh, and that's because it was a bad idea with not much that could be said in its defence. Uh, but the same is not true of conservative ideas, of traditional values, of timeless institutions uh, such as our constitution, of course, it's not timeless, unlike marriage, uh, but it is uh, an institution uh, which needs to, to be defended because its age and uh, proof of water under the bridge is its favour. Now, a progressive thinks everything old is bad uh, and conservatives need to have the courage of their convictions uh, that old is quite often meaning proven, uh, not stale. That he made. He acknowledged that referendums don't get up without bipartisan support. And yet he decided to go to this referendum without bipartisan support. So I... Which makes it his responsibility, not Peter Dutton's. I think that reflects on his judgment. His judgment in exactly. taking this path from the very beginning, mm. uh, let's say a year ago, where it could have been taken on a different path. And through this year, even as late as June, when it was clear that the mood was turning against and maybe a different assessment needed to be made mm -hmm. and also responsibility in terms of the day-to-day -day running of the campaign, which I don't think had strong central control in government to unify with Yes 23. So there were problems at multiple levels. And You know, there comes a point where conviction just becomes stubbornness and pride. Uh, conviction in things that God has said, for example, uh, never stubbornness or pride. That's conviction. If you were going to die on that hill, that's conviction. Uh, loyalty to your teammates and uh, leader, 
that's conviction, being prepared to lose. Uh, the Conservative, the Liberal Party became uh, as bad as the Labour Party when they imitated their willingness to betray a sitting Prime Minister. Uh, something the Liberal Party should have never done was sink that low. Being prepared to lose an election uh, with a leader who's doing bad in the polls uh, is something that the Liberal Party should always be prepared to do. But the problem is they're professional election winners, not conviction politicians. And so the only thing that matters to them isn't their convictions, but simply winning elections. Now, betraying Kevin Rudd, betraying Julia Gillard, uh, these were mistakes that the Labour Party made, and they've tried to close that door. Uh, the Liberal Party has not made any such uh, determination. And the reality is that uh, by not being conviction politicians, uh, the Liberal Party has severely compromised and become less attractive as evidenced by dwindling numbers of members. And that has to be something that Anthony Albanese takes responsibility for. Uh, I think crucially, the model itself was, the, was, was a key issue here and all the indications mm -hmm. were that Australians didn't like this model of an elected group where, as Isabella pointed out, you know, there's a, the elected right for the Indigenous voice and other people don't get that. That was a problem. Um, they could have taken a different path. Indigenous leaders didn't want that. Anthony Albanese locked in with that and we see the result. Well, we come, we'll come back to... Some Indigenous leaders didn't want a different model. Some Indigenous leaders uh, do not speak for all Indigenous people. Uh, it's condescending and racist to think that all people of a certain racial extraction uh, have, are incapable of varying in their opinions uh, and that uh, a handful of people speak for all of them. It would be insulting if it was said about Asians. It would be insulting if it was said about Europeans. It would be insulting if it was said about Africans or South Americans. Uh, there's no such thing as this uh, homogeneity of ideas amongst ethnic groups. To that point, uh, and also what this result means for Indigenous Australians and the very uncertain path forward now when it comes to closing the gap or indeed constitutional recognition, Uncertain path forward? What's uncertain about it? We certainly don't want a constitutional voice to parliament. Uh, we certainly do want to close the gap and help those people who need a hand up. This isn't complicated. And yet we've seen this week in parliament, uh, the, the government, on the basis of politics, uh, refused to hold a royal commission into child sexual assault in remote indigenous communities, where the problem is many times worse than it is in the national average. Now, it's bad everywhere, and there's been all kinds of sophistry from the government to uh, cover the reasons why they don't want to do this. Uh, but the real reason is they don't want to, having just lost a humiliating defeat in referendum, they don't now want to uh, acknowledge that better, practical, more effective ideas have come from elsewhere other than them. And Jacinta Price's uh, motion to hold a Royal Commission into child sexual assault in Indigenous communities is not racist. The refusal to hold it is 
the data speaks for itself. These kids are being abused and don't have the same rights as all other Australian children. And that's terrible. And people of good conscience should say, let us better understand the problem. And a royal commission with the maximum powers impossible to call witnesses and uh, subpoena evidence uh, is the best way possible to get to the bottom of that. Understanding has to come before knee-jerk reflexive um, solutions are offered up because otherwise we just end up with something like The Voice, a solution in search of a problem. Uh, there is no problem that is solved by another bureaucratic voice to parliament, let alone one enshrined in the constitution. Uh, and so practical steps forward is exactly what uh, Senator Jacinta Nampajimpa Price offered this week, rebuffed by a bruised and uh, hurting government. But we have put this to the Australian people and there is an answer. Now, I... I I, as I said earlier, this is not a vote against reconciliation, nor is it a vote against closing the gap. And that's where our focus now needs to be. And, and we will work with Indigenous Australia and we'll definitely listen to them very closely about how we can take steps forward. Listen to them. What does that mean? I mean, it sounds like something we should all agree with. But what they usually mean when they say listen to Indigenous Australians is obey. Do what we're told. The tyranny of the minority, some racial autocracy where 3% of the people get to dictate policy, legislation and constitutional changes to 97% of vast, culturally diverse, ethnically diverse Australians. Listen to them? Is there some kind of secret knowledge that ethnic groups have about themselves which is unobtainable and unsearchable by uh, anybody else. This is uh, something that is uh, being referred to um, as uh, ethnic Gnosticism, uh, a, a ancient myth mythological false religion, really bad philosophy about secret knowledge, as if uh, there's secret knowledge that uh, people of colour um, have which uh, white people are not privy to. Like, uh, we can't possibly know what racism is. We need uh, black people to define it for us. That's uh, ethnic Gnosticism and a common trait of, uh, of leftist, wokedivist, cultural Marxist, uh, conflict theory, political agendas. Uh, and it's toxic and it's destructive and it's misbegotten. Uh, so listening to them, yeah, let's listen to people. Everybody should be listened to. All Australians are equal. Uh, one vote, one value. Nobody gets extra representation. Everybody gets the same opportunities. You have local representatives who represent everybody in your electorate. And you have the rights of petitions which get tabled in Parliament uh, by which you and large groups of people have a voice to be heard in the Federal Parliament. Uh, but if listen to them means obey them and give them a blank check whereby we must do what we're told about certain people uh, regardless of its, of its scope or demands, uh, well, that's just preposterous. Every single request must be assessed on its merits, uh, its pros, its cons, 
its foreseeable and unforeseeable consequences. Caution must be taken. Progress is wonderful, but reckless progress is destructive. Um, in closing the gap, I, I really do hope that coming out of this, there is in fact an increased appetite uh, to put in place programs which can close the gap. But, but that's where our focus is now. And, and, and I understand the government um, wants to take some time to work out uh, what those steps will be to close the gap. But for, for right now, um, can I just ask you about where this does leave Indigenous Australians, whether this process has been worthwhile? Because Marcia Langton says no. the nation's been poisoned... There's no fix for this By terrible her. outcome. Noel Pearson warned that a no vote would mean endless division and mutual suspicion. By him. Your colleague Pat Dodson said a no vote would say to Indigenous Australians they have no legitimacy here, no right to be here. Are you kidding me? These are the people traumatising Aborigines. These are the people who are self-flagellating their own people themselves. They're just punishing themselves and imagining this great angst and animosity uh, from whites to uh, blacks, from uh, non-Indigenous people towards Indigenous people. This is reprehensible rhetoric from these blacktivists. These people, their transparent agenda, every taste of every fruit from their tree is bitterness. It is a root of bitterness and the whole plant must be pulled out. These leaders must be excised from the public square, and people who can lead Aborigines, Indigenous people, Torres Strait Islanders into uh, forgiveness and genuine reconciliation, sincerity, self-responsibility, uh, freedom and self-government, they are the people that Aborigines need to be looking for as leaders, not these grievance activists, elitists. Does this leave Indigenous Australians in a worse position today than they were before this whole exercise? Well, I, I, I certainly, uh, I, I suppose my sadness today, um, I feel most acutely he in terms dares of not contradict how this does them. bear on uh, Indigenous Australians. They Some Indigenous Australians, many Indigenous Australians are celebrating the no result. Don't be homogenising ethnic groups, Richard. They will be hurting today and you can um, see that in the comments that you've just referred to and I think that... They'll be hurting because they were told that this was about respect and about uh, the way they are considered and thought of instead of being about a proposed change to the constitution. This was a loaded gun, loaded by blacktivists. Uh, does require all of us in this moment uh, to be embracing Indigenous Australians. Um, I, 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 I do feel... We've never uh, not embraced that, as I you. said, there is, uh, I hope, an increased appetite to act on closing the gap. I definitely feel that this is not a vote against reconciliation. I think it really is not. important um, as we move forward now and seek to bring the country together that we do have a particular focus on Indigenous Australians because I can completely understand um, how there will be a feeling of hurt on their part today. Um, I don't think you do understand. I think you understand that there will be a feeling of hurt, but I don't think you understand how there will be a feeling of hurt. It's an interesting choice of words because your lack of comprehension is absolutely apparent in your lack of laying blame at the feet of those activists like Noel Pearson, Marsha Langton, et al., 
who are loading the gun and pointing it at both black and white Australians with no winners from a refusal to go down what they demand we do. Macross yeah. is quite paternalistic from the government to say, this is what you asked for, but this is what we're going to give you. I don't think it would have been palatable in a lot of Indigenous yeah. communities. And we heard rhetoric... The this isn't what you asked for. This monolithic, homogenised, uh, unvarying ethnic block, like, like Aborigines are a, a blob of uncontrasted diversity. I mean, and that's just so flying in the face of reality. It's just absolutely focusing on the trees instead of the forest. And the reality is that the, that one tree doesn't represent the whole forest. There's such diversity there. And there's, the, uh, no, there's, I mean, are you serious? There's only one idea which is going to work, which only one idea uh, which Aboriginals can possibly accept as, as uh, approving of them as equal. I mean, why do Aboriginals need approval from external people anyway? If your dignity and your self-esteem and your self-worth is always located outside yourself, you're always going to be unhappy and always going to be volatile in your emotional stability. Voice isn't going to create real change for what was symbolic recognition going to do. Uh, people would have woken up to a yes vote and their lives would have looked more or less exactly the same. That was the argument we heard when they were presenting the voice to parliament model. Yeah, and I think, look, the... You know, just on my last comment, uh, there's Christian gospel truth here. Uh, not white truth, by the way, Christian eternal objective truth, outside ethnicity and age, uh, outside culture. And that is the only opinion which matters about who you are, your identity, your worth, your value is God's. Only God's opinion matters, not your parents, not your children's, not your neighbours, not your governments, not your nations. The only opinion that matters is does God approve of who you are? The things that he created in you are sacred. Your sexuality, your gender. Uh, and he designed that, by the way. You don't get to define that however you feel any part of the day. Uh, he, he made you with the ethnic composition that you are, you, your shade of melanin and the features around you. Those aren't mutations or deformities. Those are sacred and immutable. Culture is not sacred. Culture is habits and ideas. Culture needs to be redeemed and conformed to the character of Christ. Bad ideas need to be dropped. Bad attitudes, bad philosophies, bad behaviours need to be changed, redeemed and sanctified. We should all be becoming more like Christ every day. You want to see a flourishing, reconciled society? It's people who increasingly look, behave, and think like Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. That is how you get a reconciled nation. And of course, this applies to me and every culture. Western culture here in Australia should be humiliated by the things that we call sacred, like the alleged right to kill our own children, the alleged right to kill people who are suffering. That is abominable and has no fellowship with Christ whatsoever. And it makes us very, very ugly. And we should be embarrassed about that. And every culture has things that they should be embarrassed about and change. And when you 
seek for your approval, your sense of worth and acceptance from a government or a population or a referendum, that is always going to end very badly. Could I get on to you know, the issue of what does it mean for yeah. Peter Dutton, because we're all going to be talking about this before the next general yeah. election. He's clearly the winner. His, his tactics paid off. He emerges with greater authority. He will be a conservative champion to people. You know, uh, that's well said. Um, Peter Dutton's tactics did pay off. Uh, this was always a bad idea. This was always a divisive idea. This was always misbegotten and badly handled. And yet Peter Dutton disappointed a lot of conservatives and a lot of conservatives railed against him uh, when he took his time to ask for more details and consider the proposal from the government. Uh, now that may have always been political theatre. In fact, it's a credit to him if it was. Because at the very least, you have to show people and look like you are listening, which Anthony Albanese did not. He didn't look like he was listening. He looked like he was taking marching orders from 250, at best, 250 Australians. There was probably uh, half a dozen uh, communists, Marxists, blacktivists who organised the Uluru Statement from the Heart and, and got then a whole bunch of um, self-congratulatory echo chamber assembly together called it a constitutional convention, speaking on behalf of 3% of Australians. Uh, and, and there was no listening at all to the rest of Australia. But it's the rest of Australia's votes that you need to make this work. And so when Peter Dutton uh, played this very shrewdly by taking his time to come to a position of no, uh, that was brilliant statesmanship people on his own side after getting this outcome. He has conveyed a sense of anger, I think, and aggression, sometimes fueling a sense of crisis in his, in his press appearances. And I, <laughs> I wonder whether that's really what people will want when he gets towards a general election. But we can also see the other clear factor here in the Teal seats. Um, the Teal independent MP supporting The Voice have indicated their electorates are in favour. There's still no indication that Peter Dutton has got a way to win back the, those Liberal heartlands. And they used to be Liberal heartlands. Those teal seats are gone. They are green. The Liberal Party now represents the working class, uh, regional, outer metropolitan at best, uh, and remote communities. Labor Party represents the, the white-collar elitists who think they know better than everybody else. This, that is the laptop class, the uh, latte-sipping Range Rover with no dust on it uh, class, the, the people who uh, consult and, and do uh, well-paid jobs. Labor Party stopped being the party of workers for ages. And so uh, this liberal heartland myth has to be redefined to keep up with reality. It has to be calibrated. Uh, because uh, Liberal Heartland is no longer the teal seats. And for there to be any sort of uh, suggestion that Peter Dutton is doing a bad job by not reclaiming those seats is preposterous. Uh, he would be far better off chasing the regional seats, uh, which uh, are fair game and up for hands. This is the changing nature of politics, and uh, the teal seats 
are now irrelevant to, and should be irrelevant to Liberal strategists. And even though he may think that there's support out in the suburbs now for him, I'm not convinced that a, a vote on the, on the voice is any indication of where people will vote in those suburbs. I disagree. I think uh, an indication on this shows just how conservative Australians are, that they do not listen to Hollywood, celebrities, uh, corporations, virtue signalling elitists, uh, academics and experts. I think they recognise bull dust when they served it up on a plate. Uh, but what this does show is what liberal strategies are good to change to. Instead of compromising and appeasing and trying to, to uh, win back the teal seats, uh, a sharp distinction from the alternative is what will win massive electoral support in federal elections. This is, I think, very straightforward for Peter Darden and should silence the moderates and wets in the Liberal Party if they have any capacity for self-awareness. It's my opinion that nothing sums up the referendum better than the ascension of the word misinformation. It's dripping with condescension and disdain for everybody who dissents from the orthodoxy, the elitist narrative about how things should be. If we're, there is sincere disagreement, uh, they're not interested in understanding. They're not interested in understanding the best arguments against their positions. They just want to dismiss and label as misinformation. It's a cunning strategy, but it's very intellectually weak and cowardly and dishonest. There's nothing honest about that at all. There is good reason to have sincere debates and people can be sincerely wrong. That doesn't make what they say misinformation as if they never intended to be sincere or honest. And that's the problem with this label and it's the problem with the way this referendum was conducted. There was no intentional, honest, uh, intention to try and understand why people would have a problem with a constitutional voice to parliament, a new bureaucracy after 50 years of failed bureaucracies, but with the added poison of being effectively permanent. That is not something that people were lying about or fear-mongering about or stoking division or racist about. They were sincere and sober concerns. And Australia made the right decision. But it wasn't because of misinformation or lies or racism. It was because the proposal and the model for the proposal and the method for uh, deciding the model for the proposal were misbegotten and terribly flawed ideas from beginning to end. Misinformation is something that we need to forget. We need to forget about making laws against it. Uh, that's really uh, jumping from the frying pan into the fire. What is healthy for society is sincere and civil debate. And that means both sides of any position, if there's only two, must be able to fully ventilate their ideas and be fully cross-examined uh, by opposite ideological perspectives. And that is what free speech is all about. It's not about uh, the ability to abuse freedom of speech with uh, lies or defamation, 
but it is the ability to criticize the government, criticize the orthodoxy, scrutinize bad ideas, including cultures, and, and thoroughly explore these ideas so people can form their own convictions after careful consideration, which isn't possible if misinformation is a label freely applied to all dissent, or even worse, defined by a government and outlawed and penalized. This is The Church and State Show. I would love you to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Dave Pello. And you can also, if not best of all, actually subscribe to my email newsletters at davepello.com, where you will also find the ability to support this work and see recent episodes and articles, all without charge. Thanks to the Good Source supporters and my own who constantly contribute to making this work possible. I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode or at a church and state event near you soon. God bless you and this nation. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.